Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Big Recon on Sports. I'm your host, I'm The Big Recon. And uh, we came to you last week with our opinion on social media and how there are many garbage fans on social media. So this week we decided to take a step back, do a little bit of a reaction show. Uh, lots happened since last Friday when we posted the social media episode. So I want to start with something that happened earlier this week. And that is the 2019 uh, Hall of Fame class was announced. A um, couple of surprises, obviously. Uh, just get to the four guys. Mike Messina, Roy Halladay, Edgar Martinez, and of course the great Mariano Rivera. Um are into the Hall of Fame this year with Halliday and Rivera being on the first ballot. Uh, Roy, um, excuse me, Edgar Martinez on his final ballot, which is a joke if you ask me, but that's just me. And Mike Mussina in his sixth year of eligibility all go into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown along with Harold Baines and Lee Smith, who were elected by the, um, what's now known as the generational committee, I believe. I could be wrong on that, but it's the old veterans committee is basically who put them in. Uh, for Lee Arthur Smith, way too overdue. And Harold Baines, I'll get to in a minute. Um, but let's break down their numbers for their careers. Storied careers, multiple, multiple all-star all-star appearances, Cy Young's, uh, World Series rings, and some genuine moments that have shaped the last 25 to 30 years of Major League Baseball. Mike Mussina, of course, came up with Baltimore after a storied college career at Stanford. 270 wins, a 3.68 career ERA, 2,813 strikeouts, and a 1.192 whip, which is walks and hits per innings pitched, over his storied career between Baltimore and New York. Of course, Mussina came up with Baltimore in the late 90s. Uh, had a good run with them, and after the 2000 season, he went to the Yankees, where he stayed until the end of his career and his only 21 season in 2008. Roy Halladay, who is sadly partially on the sympathy vote. We lost Doc Halladay uh, a couple years ago now um, in a plane crash. Uh, very sad. Young family, young man, just 40 years old. Uh, but here's the bottom line. For a good stretch of time, Roy Halladay was the most dominant right-handed pitcher in the game. 203 wins, 3.38 career ERA, 2,117 strikeouts, a 1.178 whip, and only the second postseason no-hitter in history in his first postseason start for the Philadelphia Phillies in 2010 when he no-hit the Cincinnati Reds. Um, Roy Halladay was a phenomenal, not only pitcher, but human being. Uh, anybody who paid attention uh, last year to spring training knows that Team Canada features Roy Halladay's son, and he had a 1-2-3 inning against the Toronto Blue Jays. In a spring training game, it made you tear up if you were paying attention. Edgar Martinez, arguably the greatest designated hitter this side of David Ortiz in the history of the game. 2,247 hits, a 312 lifetime batting average, 309 home runs, 1,261 RBIs, a 418 on base percentage, 515 slugging, a 933 OPS. Edgar, of course, played with one team, the Seattle Mariners. He was a third baseman at the beginning of his career, and then he moved to DH, and he was in the middle of a lineup that featured guys like Jay Buhner, him, A-Rod, and of course, my opinion, the greatest player of my generation, Ken Griffey Jr., 
And then we get to the first ever unanimous selection to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And that is Mariano Rivera, the greatest closer in the history of the game. Rivera, of course, 652 saves, a 2.2 earned run average, 1,173 strikeouts, and a 1.0 whip, which means for every inning pitched, he barely got a guy on base. Uh, everybody knows Rivera's tale. The stat came out earlier this week when he was elected. More men have walked on the moon than scored a run in the postseason on Mariano Rivera. Um, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens fall short again. Kurt Schilling was the highest vote-getter of the guys who didn't get in, so look for Schill to get in next year. Um, his political views and Twitter notwithstanding, which I believe is what kept him out. Here's where tonight's show is going to get a little, a little controversial. I am a firm believer that there is no way Mariano Rivera should have been the first ever unanimous Hall of Famer on the first ballot. Here's the deal. This is not Met fan Yankee hate. This is nothing more than we are talking about a list of men who have gone into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot that didn't get to 100%. And I'm just going to give you five or six off the top of my head. I'm going to add a seventh. Nolan Ryan, Tony Gwynn, Cal Ripken Jr., Willie Mays, Henry Aaron, Ken Griffey, Tom Seaver. I mentioned those two last because Seaver held the record for highest vote percentage when he was elected in 1992. Griffey broke it two years ago when he went in with Mike Piazza, and I was personally there for his induction. And, of course, Mo breaks it this year with 100%. We are talking about two men in Aaron and Mays who weren't just the best at their position. We're talking about guys who are in the argument for the greatest player in the 100-plus year history, 150-year history of this game. This is the 150th year of Major League Baseball. Henry Aaron and Willie Mays are in the conversation as two of the greatest players of all time, and they didn't make it on a unanimous first ballot. Why? Because there were people who thought, oh, DiMaggio didn't get on the first ballot, neither did Ted Williams. That's wonderful. I think Mo going in warranted first ballot shoe in Hall of Famer. Never a question in my mind. Should not have been the first unanimous. So once again, shame on you, baseball writers. I'd like to know the people's uh, mentality on why they didn't vote for Ken Griffey Jr. for uh, unanimously into the Hall of Fame in 2016. This is the greatest player of the previous 25 years. But he didn't go in. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mo deserves every single accolade he has ever gotten. And he did it by throwing a pitch that, oh, by the way, Mel Stottlemyre, who we recently lost, the great pitching coach from the 86 World Champion Mets and, of course, that run with the New York Yankees, Mariano Rivera found his cutter by accident in a side session with Mel Stottlemyre. Mo was a failed starter that they wanted to convert into an, a reliever, and then he just decided, yep, there you go. Let me try this. This class notwithstanding, everybody gave us a thrill right down to the end. Of course, Moose, great postseason pitcher with the Baltimore Orioles in the late 90s. The Yankees in 01 and 03, uh, you know, 
I feel bad for Moose because the Yankees won the World Series in 2000 and 2009, the year before he got there and the year after he got the year after he left. Halliday threw a perfect game in his first year with Philadelphia and the no-hitter again in the postseason. Uh, what a phenomenal story he was. Of course, Edgar Martinez's big moment is the walk-off in the 95, the first ever ALDS between the Mariners and the Yankees off of Blackjack McDowell, Ken Griffey Jr., to paraphrase Gus Johnson like he was running from the cops, scores that run, sends them to the LCS against the eventual pennant-winning Cleveland Indians. Each guy gave us a memory of him that we will take forever as a baseball fan. Mine for Moose, since I didn't get there, was, of course, his relief appearance in Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS against Boston. And then he went right to Moe, and Moe went crazy. The real issue with this class and Moe going in unanimously is not this year. It is next year. Because guess who's on the ballot next year? Moe's former partner in crime, Derek Jeter. I'm going to alienate a lot of people I know when I say this. Derek Jeter does not deserve a unanimous first ballot election into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I will back this up with three reasons. One, let's talk about Derek Jeter's legacy. His postseason heroics started with a blown call. That was a blown call. Jeffrey Mayer's glove was over the fence. It was fan interference. He should have been called out. We don't know if the, the Yankees win the World Series in 1995 if that doesn't happen. The flip uh, against Oakland, phenomenal play. Maybe the most heads-up baseball play I've ever seen before Daniel Murphy going from first to third on a walk against the Dodgers because of the shift. This was the most heads-up baseball play I've ever seen up to that point. We talk about the home run he hit to make him Mr. November. Say what you will. Kim should not have been in that game. Young Hyung Kim should have been pulled after that was the game Brocious tied it with the home run in the ninth. Jeter should have never he should have never been in the game. But he's Mr. November. And here's the thing that's gonna drive people crazy. If it hadn't been for Alex Rodriguez and his insane crying to get out of Texas, Derek Jeter would have never been regarded as the best shortstop in his prime in the game. If you stack up numbers when they were shortstops from the beginning of their career until Alex Rodriguez cried his way out of Texas and moved to third base, Derek Jeter is far and away below Alex Rodriguez outside of postseason wins, but sheer numbers. Jeter's far and away behind him. There are some people who, if you put their numbers together, would pick that Jeter's numbers were actually Nomar Garcia-Para's. That's how good Nomar was before he left Boston and was hurt. He goes down as one of the greatest shortstops of all time because A-Rod moved from short to third. End of story. Now, I happen to respect Derek Jeter very much. He was a hard-nosed ball player, got dirty, did what he had to do to help his team win, which is the most important thing you can do. But there is nothing factually wrong with what I just said. He should go in on the first ballot. 
over 3,000 hits, five World Series championships, really the preeminent fixture of the game for a very long time, but I'm sorry, he is not on the pedestal that everybody thinks he is. Defensively, some would have called him a liability toward the end of his career. I would have said defensively he was a marginal shortstop, not maybe the top five in the game at the time. Of course, the best defensive shortstop when he was playing was Omar Vizquel, who should be in. The best offensive shortstop, of course, at that time was A-Rod with Garcia Parra. And then Jeter. So needless to say, they had the press conference yesterday. Want to see where everybody's going as far as their caps go. Of course, Mo and Edgar only played for one franchise, so that's easy. Another Yankee and only the second Mariner of all time behind Griffey. I think Mike Messina should be a Baltimore Oriole. That's just me personally. Um, a big proponent of go in with the team you had a ton of success with. And he had about the same record with each team. About the same success. At that point in time when it's even like that, I think you go with the team you were with originally. Uh, the big debate recently about that one was Gary Carter, who wanted to go in as a New York Met. And the Hall of Fame said, no. Uh, you spent the majority of your career in Montreal. That's where you're going to go. Good decision. Being a Met fan, a little mad. Roy Halladay, uh, his wife announced yesterday that he will go in with no team on his cap, on his plaque in Cooperstown. He was such, he had such love for both Toronto, where his family started, and of course the Philadelphia Phillies, where he got to see the postseason for the first time and excelled in the postseason. So, of course, the end of July, you're going to have those six guys go in. It's Harold Baines, Lee Smith, and the four gentlemen we just talked about. Going back to the first two, Baines and Smith. Of course, Lee Smith was the all-time saves leader when he retired. He should have been in years ago. He should have never been kicked off the ballot after 10 years. He should have been in a long time ago. Harold Baines is where I have a problem. But I think I can say this and it be somewhat relevant. Harold Baines is going to be the guy that opens the door for other players who people saw as marginal, but were Hall of Fame people and had Hall of Fame careers. Um, being selfish, I hope this gives David Wright a second look. As I said in episode five, he was on pace to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So those six gentlemen, Jason Stark uh, gets the Spink Award. Um, Stark, who, of course, with ESPN for a long time, now with The Athletic and MLB Network. He's a great read, and he's a very good analyst as a journalist. I, I respect him very much, and I wish him the best. Unlike three years ago, I will not be in Cooperstown that weekend. There's going to be a lot of Yankee fans, and I just don't do that. So now that we've gone through the happy stuff for the week and a new Hall of Fame class and more baseball in the news, let's talk about the giant elephant in the room in sports, shall we? Let me be very clear about something. I did not watch either championship game. On one side, I am so entirely sick of the New England Patriots, it is not even funny. And on the other 
just didn't feel like watching the NFL. But I did watch all the highlights. And let me be clear about something else. The New Orleans Saints had plenty of ways to win that game. I know Drew Brees threw an INT in uh, the first possession of overtime. And I also know he missed Michael Thomas on a throw. He hits 99 out of 100 times on first down when they were criticized for throwing a ball. It's all true. They blew a 13-point lead. Again, all true. That is the worst call in the history of professional sports. The NFL talked to Sean Payton after the game and basically said, "Mm -hmm, my bad, we blew the call, sorry. What in the unholy hell were those referees thinking? Now, if you've gone back and watched any of the footage, people took video from the corner of the end zone and there was a referee in the corner of the end zone, and there was one at the line of scrimmage, and they were in the the play happened in the middle of them. What happened? This is how bad this call was. There was a video on YouTube where guys were playing Madden, and they turned down pass interference to zero. And the ref still called pass interference in a video game. They ran the same setup. The same formation, the same play, the same snap count. They even controlled the defensive back from the Rams and did the same thing. And a game with zero for pass interference in the settings called pass interference and the humans didn't. Pass interference needs to be reviewable both on the good end and the bad end. The good end to get the call, the bad end to overturn the call. (sighs) Rant almost over. Basically what the NFL just did is put the wonderkin coach and his pupil in the Super Bowl over maybe the guy who's going to be the best in the history of the game at his position. Roger Goodell has been called out because there is a rule in the rule book that he can force a game to be replayed because of a call that impacted the game and was the the main reason as to why the game ended that way. And he is too much of a coward to make the call. Now let's go to the Midwest. The NFL needs to change the overtime rules. Here is the reality of what happened in Kansas City on Sunday. The NFL MVP did not get the ball in overtime. This is not the first time it has happened with New England. It happened in that Super Bowl against Atlanta, and it happened uh, this past weekend. Yes, the defense should have made a stop in overtime. Yes, they could have done 10 things differently. The bottom line is this. The league MVP did not get the ball in overtime. That is a problem. For all the arguing people start at with the college football overtime rules, you're at least guaranteeing both teams a possession. The NFL rules are an absolute joke. Have they gotten better from, hey, get the ball and kick a field goal? Yes, they have. But the college football overtime rules, they say, oh, that makes the game longer. Really? You're a game with an hour clock that takes three and a half to four hours to play. What's another 10 minutes? Or, instead of a five-minute period, play a 10-minute period. 
And at the end of that period, whoever's winning is winning. So you can get multiple possessions. You can score multiple times. Play another period. But they won't do that either. Look, Pat Mahomes had a phenomenal season. He was not hampered by the moment at all. He played Tom Brady straight up. And not many quarterbacks can say that, especially in a championship game. Something that I'm going to bring up that was summarily ignored by the national media is that was Tom Brady's first win on the road in a playoff game since 2005. 14 years. He didn't win a a postseason game on the road. Oh, but he's the GOAT. No, he's a decent quarterback who takes advantage of the fact that his division he plays in is an absolute dumpster fire. I want to know what the national media narrative would have been had Kansas City won the toss and Pat Mahomes gone down, scored a touchdown, and been done. Because it would have been, oh, the kid did great, but the greatest of all time didn't get the ball in overtime. And Skip Bayless and the rest of these cronies of Tom Brady would be flipping out. But they're not flipping out because Brady got what he wanted. I am going to say this and people are going to shake their heads when they listen. I am not going to watch the Super Bowl. I don't care. As I said in the first episode, the NFL is not my favorite thing to watch. But I will make this prediction. I will not sit and listen to a four-hour homage to the genius of Bill Belichick and the greatness of Tom Brady. No, I'm going to watch the highlights after Dominican Sue and Aaron Donald hit him in his mouth repeatedly. If Los Angeles can take a page out of the book that the New York Giants wrote twice, they will win the Super Bowl for the first time since the greatest show on turf. Thank God football's almost over. The only football I look forward to, of course, is Ohio State. I am excited for Baker Mayfield's second season. I expect next weekend, this weekend, of course, is a Pro Bowl. I expect next weekend to hear that Baker Mayfield is the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, I expect Patty Mahomes to win the uh, NFL MVP. And then the Super Bowl will be over, and it's the greatest time of the year. We're going to have an announcement about the show in the coming weeks. I know I've been teasing this. We're going to be making some changes. Until I am 100% positive I have a start date for it, I am not going to tell everyone what it is, but the change is coming. It is a very good change in my opinion. Uh, Something I didn't see coming this quickly. As always, we can be found on social media. Big Recon on Sports on Facebook, at BR on Sports 1 on Twitter. And of course, we can be heard on Google Play, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. But I'm going to close this episode with a singular number. And that is the number 20. And why is the number 20 so important today? Because in 20 glorious days, the weather gets warmer. The days get longer. And the 2019 New York Mets pitchers and catchers report to Port St. Lucie. 
and it starts all the fun all over again. Thanks for listening. We will come at you again soon with that announcement. Hopefully by the end of this week, if not the beginning of next. Take care, everyone.